Hello, hello, hello. What's up, everybody? This is Supriya Mehra, your mortgage advisor, and you're listening to the Canadian Real Estate 101 podcast. More people than ever are building generational wealth through real estate. And on this show, I sit down with some of the top real estate agents, lawyers, accountants, and investors to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies that they are taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. In today's episode, I'm in discussion with Romesh Hetriarchi from Signal Lawyers, a global citizen operating at the intersection of business, law, and technology. Romesh leverages his experience to help business owners and entrepreneurs solve problems, minimize risk, and build businesses designed to succeed in the digital economy. Committed to supporting clients in the digital-first economy, Romesh writes for Entrepreneur Magazine and is a member of Entrepreneur's Organization's Accelerator Program. Romesh provides legal services through Signal Lawyers. Our topic that we discuss in today's interview is about what really happens at a lawyer's office at the time of sale or purchase of your property. So without further ado, let's get rolling. Hello, Romesh. How are you doing? Good, uh, Supriya. I'm uh, super excited for this. This should be a lot of fun. Yes, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. So Romesh, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. Really grateful for your time. And I can't wait to hear all the valuable content that you have to share with our audience today. So before we jump into it, our actual topic, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, who you help, and so on? Sure. So um, my name is Romesh Etiarchi. I'm a commercial lawyer at a small law firm in Etobicoke called BNM Legal Counsel. And um, I've been practicing for almost a decade, maybe it actually is a decade now, in basically business and um, real estate. Um, so, and there's also an aspect where there's a little bit of dispute resolution is there as well. And I set up my own shop a couple of years ago where I realized that there was a real need for a, more of a modern approach to legal services. And so I've been really focused on developing my own approach to um, services, which I think most people need in order to build out their wealth in Canada, right? And so it's been a really interesting journey over the last couple of years. I'd never, as an, as a, as an immigrant, I never really thought that I would ever really set up my own business. But um, it's, been an, it's been a really enjoyable ride so far, uh, subject, like notwithstanding obviously this pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so and so I basically, the approach really centered around three principles, which I call what is the role of a lawyer, and it's basically three things. We solve problems, we minimize risk, and we manage legal processes. And so we are pretty proud about that unique way of how to approach the provision of legal services. And I think a lot of clients like the fact that they can delegate these responsibilities to our law firm and to our professionals. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about how you, it's your spin on things. Like how are you providing that unique experience in the space of law? Sure. Now, let me start by saying that this we like it's kind of like table stakes that you assume that every lawyer provides competent legal services. So I'm not really trying to differentiate myself on sort of quality of legal services. I think that our what we do differ from other lawyers, I think anyway, is that we take the approach of being really sort of an advisor to our clients. 
And mm -hmm. that means that our role is to present options for our clients to consider, and then our clients make those make that decision. And when we present options, we, we present them in a way that's not really filled with legalese, but something that's plain English. And I think for a small law firm, our clients are surprised by that approach. Um, we're also a very tech forward law firm. Um, we really embrace the use of technology to deliver value to our clients. And I think that our clients are happy that they can get access to information they need in a format that they're more used to rather than sitting in a lawyer's office or in a paper format. Yep. I absolutely love that. And you having such a casual approach yet professional makes it easier for somebody like myself, perhaps to reach out to you, right? Like you don't feel intimidated. Oh my God, it's a lawyer and using all that jargon that we probably don't understand and using that normal layman's language and explaining them as in grade five, I believe it really helps from consumer's well, perspective. Well, I think especially as as newcomers, we would tend to put lawyers on a pedestal. And we say like, you know what, you've got to really treat them with a lot of respect and all this sort of stuff. And I know when I was dealing with legal services for my family, before I went to law school, it, it was one of those things like you, you have to dress nicely with the law to go to the law office and X, Y, and Z. And maybe that's still important. But I think that in this day and age, we're really looking for something. We, we're looking to build a relationship with our lawyers and our advisors and using an approach that doesn't, that meets clients where they are, I think is something that really helps build a strong foundation to that relationship. And again, I think that oftentimes sets us apart from other lawyers, especially the bigger law firms that tend to be a little bit more suit and tie around things. Mm -hmm. um, we, like I said, we really embrace new media and we embrace opportunities to speak about subjects that, we're, that we feel competent in, in a way that helps clients advance in their careers or advance in their businesses. 100%. I love, I have been following you on social media and I really love what you have been creating so far. So kudos to that. Thanks. I appreciate it. Of course. All right. So why don't we get into our topic for today? We are trying to understand in, again, very generic, general layman terms, what are some of the processes that happen around real estate? So are you ready? Sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, uh, happy to. Okay, perfect. So one of the first question is that what is an actual role or value of a lawyer representing from purchaser side? Sure. And let me let me caveat this with whenever I'm talking about the law, this is really legal information. It's not really legal advice. And I want to make that caveat because I don't want anybody thinking that they could listen to something, listen into this conversation, and then go make decisions on this conversation. You should really talk to a lawyer to get advice that's tailored to your circumstances. Don't take this conversation is really not a substitute for legal advice in any way, shape or form. 100%. Yeah. Um, but so, so let's come back to the role of lawyer representing the purchaser. So when a purchaser is purchasing real estate, they're really coming to a lawyer to make sure that, that they handle that, they, that the transaction closes according to their interests, right? Mm -hmm. And so the role of a purchaser's law is really ensuring, first off, that the buyer is getting 
what is in fact promised in their purchase agreement. So that may be like the land, like what is, is the land described accurately? Is, are the structures built in a certain way? Um, if it's a condominium, for instance, you might want to be looking at the status certificate to make sure that the status certificate is appropriate mm-hmm. or is something that, that, or there's nothing objectionable in the status certificate. Um, if there's, um, let's say some, um, um, let's say fridges or appliances that include in the purchase agreement, you're, going to be, you're, you're looking for that as well, right? Another really important thing that the lawyer for the purchasers have a little role that they play is ensuring that no other person or entity has an interest in the property. Mm-hmm. Your worst case scenario is that you've purchased a property and you've realized all of a sudden that the seller doesn't in fact have um, the ability to sell a part of the property because mm-hmm. some, because maybe the property description covers somebody else's property or the neighbor's property. Or for instance, um, if there's somebody else might have rights to the property that weren't disclosed by the seller. Um, a third component of the value that purchasers lawyers provide purchasers is they make sure that the purchaser satisfies the obligations, obligations of the government. So that includes the payment of obligations like, like land transfer tax mm-hmm. and the obligation to pay creditors of the seller. Okay. Okay. Now, when it comes to a purchase, and if you're purchasing with a mortgage, you've also got to keep in that oftentimes the lawyer for the purchaser is also at the same time a lawyer for the mortgager or the lender, mm-hmm. right? And so in that role, there's a joint retainer. And in that specific role, the purchase law is also responsible for securing the mortgage to obtain title insurance and property insurance, right? right. And these are some, these are, I, th- I think these are the four, I think, key components of the value of the role that a purchase's lawyer plays in a residential real estate transaction. Got it. Okay. And what about if you're representing a seller side now? So a seller's lawyer actually has a lot less responsibility. It's okay. still important, but just yeah. a little bit less responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. So um, first off, like the purchase's lawyer, the seller's lawyer is going to be responsible to ensure that the seller discharges their obligations that are stated in the purchase agreement. If there's any sort of complications in the, in the purchase, the seller's lawyer and purchase lawyer are going to be negotiating to resolve those disputes. What would be possible. some of the examples of a situation like that? Um, so for example, let's say that there's um, let's say that there's an interest that the seller didn't disclose, mm-hmm. right? Of there's something wrong with the property. So for example, there was a case recently about cannabis. Yeah. Like if there's use of cannabis, what happens then? Okay. Or um, let's say that there's an issue of uh, there's a tenant in the property that right. that there's an expectation for the purchaser that the that on sale on the completion of the sale, there's not going to be a tenant there. If that's the expectation, then the seller's lawyer is going to be responsible for, on behalf of the seller, to try and initiate the termination of the tenancy process and the, under the Residential Tenancies Act. Mm, okay. Right. And then lastly, the role of the lawyer representing seller is to pay off lenders. Mm-hmm. Right. So once we get once you get the money from the purchaser. The seller's law is then going to pay off all any any lenders on the property. Right. Okay. So 
other than that, is there anything else that a seller side is kind of involved, like a seller's lawyer is involved in making no, sure? Yeah, I mean, like, I think that off the top of my head, I think those are the three primary roles. Okay. There may be other issues, for example, if there are any issues post-closing, mm-hmm. the seller's lawyer may want to be corresponding with the purchase lawyer to try and resolve those issues. Right. But by and large, I think the three big, big things that a seller's lawyer, or three items of value that the seller's lawyer provides, the discharging level of the obligations under the purchase agreement, mm-hmm. receiving the monies from the purchaser, and then distributing those monies among the lender and then the client. Okay, perfect. Sounds good. Now, if somebody is selling or purchasing a property, when should they get in touch with a lawyer to help them with their transaction? This is a great question because I think that I think there are some clients that assume that they can speak to a lawyer the day before closing and have the transaction <laughs> closed uh, smoothly. And ideally, the client should contact a lawyer as early as possible, preferably right after they executed a purchase agreement okay. or a sale agreement, right? Yeah. And the reason being is that there's a date called a requisition date inside a purchase agreement. Okay. The requisition date is an opportunity for the purchaser to make requests to ensure that no one else has an interest that affects the property once the transaction closes. And so you don't want to have a requisition. You don't want to have the requisition date pass and then hire a lawyer. Now, when do you have typically noticed is that date? Is it like a month before they're closing or it depends on every contact? So the requisition date is usually stated inside the purchase agreement, especially if you're using an OREA form. Yeah. If you're not using the OREA form, I believe it's 30 days. Okay. Um, 30 days before the closing. Before the closing date. Yeah. Okay. Um, Do not, if you're hiring a lawyer before the day of closing, A, very few lawyers are going to be able to provide value to either the seller or the purchaser the day before closing. Mm-hmm. And if they do agree to, to take you on, they're going to be expensive. Right? Is it even possible to close in a day? Depends on the transaction. Okay. Um, All right. I mean, from a theoretical perspective, I guess if you are the seller's lawyer, it's possible. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't recommend it. I mean, because the thing is this, right? There's a lot of other, like, for example, property insurance. Yeah. Property insurance isn't, isn't easy. Isn't something that can be completed oftentimes within a day. Right. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time to get it. For sure. And especially if you're getting lending, the lender is going to expect that you have property insurance. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the deal is not going to be able to close if you don't have proper insurance. You need approval for a certificate of insurance in order to right. close. Yeah. Right. And, and same thing. And, and in this day and age, a lot of mortgage instructions are received electronically. Correct. And so, especially if the purchaser, you're not going to have a lot of time to hire, to get, the purchase law is not going to have enough time to get the instructions, get the money in the account, and then close within 24 hours. Right. So you you yeah. really want to give as much time as possible to ensure that your lawyer can give you the most value possible for your money. And it just makes sense, right? Like in order to make it as stress-free or as smooth as possible, because let's be honest, when you're purchasing such a big asset, there are always issues that come up in any direction they can come out at any time, right? Yeah, um, so, you're right. And I think that, I think that, I mean, one of the challenges oftentimes is 
that the agreement that the real estate agent or the broker thinks is appropriate is oftentimes not the agreement that the lawyer would have liked. Like the lawyer would want to have additional clauses, right? Mm-hmm. But we as a lawyer usually take whatever the agreement has drafted and, and has been signed by the parties. So again, contacting the lawyer as early as possible will help iron out any of these issues right. as early as possible. Yeah, in a timely manner. That's yeah. that's the key. All right. So somebody contacts you and uh, their closing is coming up. What documents or what information would you typically request them in order for you to proceed with their work? Sure. So generally speaking, I think the base requirements, you need to get the purchase agreement. The purchase agreement, um, assuming you've got one signed by the purchase and the seller, will set out some of the key dates, the closing date, the requisition date, the pro- what's a property name, what are the conditions of the purchase. Okay, so the purchase agreement will have all of that. So I think that's the first key component. Right. As lawyers, we, have, we owe certain professional obligations to the law society. And that's what I call the know your client obligations, right? So we need to make sure your ID, we need to make sure that we're taking instructions from the right person. If you're the purchaser, you're probably going to be disclosing to your lawyer what the intended use of the property is. Mm-hmm. By way of example, are you going to be living in it? Are you going to be investing? Is is, is investment property? Rental property, yeah. Rental property, yeah. If you're a couple and you're married, you're probably going to be disclosing your marital status. Mm-hmm. And you're probably going, and that in turn influences whether you're going to be taking the property as a joint tenancy or a tenancy to common arrangement. So if there are multiple purchasers, then that's something that the lawyer needs to know. So that needs to be disclosed early. Yeah. And especially I'm noticing that with the real estate market, it is in today's date at least, a um, couple of families purchasing a property together is becoming more normal than ever. So, yeah. you know, having all that in order is so critical. Well, it's not, it's it's an interesting, I mean, you're raising an interesting point. I think it used to be typical that we just, that any property would be owned by the house, by the husband and the wife. Yeah. Or, the, or two spouses. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Right now you're seeing a rise in what are called tenant in common relation or, or um, two, fa- two, two families contributing monies to purchase properties together for mm-hmm their the children and those relationships can might or they such purchases may consider purchasing as tenants in common and in that sort of a relationship what you're really doing is saying that this is a product owned by people other than the two spouses mm-hmm. so in that situation you might want a co-tenancy agreement so these are the things that you really that the lawyer representing the purchaser needs to know ahead of time so that they can provide more value to their clients. And again, obviously you want to talk about confirmation of residency or the Canadian citizens yeah, uh, or Canadian residents. And if they qualify with the first time home buyers uh, benefit. Got it. So again, I think for the seller, a little bit less information you've got the, you've given the purchase agreement. Right. You may want to know if they have judgments or debts to the owing against the client. Mm-hmm. you get the mortgage information, the information of any lenders on the property. Right. If you're going to be using some of the proceeds of the sale to pay off debts, the information about those debts and the property tax information. Okay, got it. Cool. Now, moving along, it is uh, the closing day. Okay. So what happens on that day? 
Okay, so close the day. So again, when we talk about a closing day, we're talking about a general transaction. So what we typically expect, we're not talking right. about the extraordinary scenario where- No, just general idea. These are some steps sure. that you go through and so on. So you're, So I think that there's really two components. There's a financial component, the non-financial component, okay? So the financial component is about the exchanging of monies, okay? There's a purchase price agreed to the property. That purchase price needs to be paid. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen is that the purchaser will receive the monies from a lender. If there's a shortfall between those monies and the purchase price, they'll be receiving money from a client, mm-hmm. combining those monies, and then we sending those monies to the seller. Okay. Okay. The purchaser sends those monies either by way of a certified check mm-hmm. that's deposited into the seller's lawyer's bank account or today's in today's age something by wire yeah the seller so 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 i'm I'm just doing this chronologically yeah so then what happens is the seller will receive the monies and the balance deposit on closing they'll take those monies and then they're going to pay off any security that's held on the property so the seller's lender and they'll also pay a commission to the realtor Mm -hmm. assuming there's a realtor involved yeah and then whatever money is remaining, they're going to release that to the client. Got it. That necessar- So those last two steps don't necessarily happen on the same day, but they happen after. But I'm just giving you a chronological yes. thing, right? Yeah. But at minimum, on, by closing day, the seller's lender has to be paid off. Right. Right? Yeah. So that's the financial, that's the financial component. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the non-financial. And the non-financial consists of two criteria, the delivery of the documents and delivery of keys. Mm-hmm. And some of this also, again, takes place electronically. Mm-hmm. But the seller, once all the monies have been paid, they sign the transfer for release. Mm-hmm. They provide a personal undertaking to remove the mortgages. And if they are in possession of the keys, they will send the keys to the purchaser. Okay. Right? Yeah. Now, again, in today's day and age, oftentimes the realtors involved will handle the transfer of the keys okay by way of, by way of putting a lockbox so, got it right yeah then the purchaser will once the transfer has been released by the seller they'll register the transfer on the charge and they'll provide and once they receive the keys from the seller they provide the keys to the client okay and that's really what happens on the closing day from a chronological perspective okay no makes sense now since the pandemic I'm assuming that your rate of doing virtual closings has gone higher. So what happens in a virtual closing or what's the role at the time of virtual closing? It's, um, it's really process heavy and it's really all about process. And my assistant and I, we've got a real, I think we've got a really decent process as to how we work together, Mm -hmm. but it's really a function of, how much of technology I've invested into the into business, right? I don't I don't work from the same office as my sister. My sister work from home. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening is that a lot of the communications happen over text message or Teams messages, and we keep each other apprised fairly regularly mm-hmm. over the course of a closing day. Yeah. Um, documents are signed using DocuSign or another e-signature program where where possible mm-hmm. and monies are transferred electronically oftentimes. So for example, when it comes to realtors, 
we send a direct deposit to the realtor. Okay. Right. And it's, again, that process electronically. I mean, I think you're going to see a real big rise in the, the sort of virtual closing. Totally. And I think, and I think that's, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's it's a, good a great thing. For the thing. Clients, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it used to be that when you're closing transactions, you could be paying for couriers all across the city. And that's no longer a cost that at least we don't, we at our law firm don't need to disperse out anymore mm-hmm. because we've just really managed everything in this virtual format. Um, yeah. Okay, perfect. Now that was super helpful. Now, if somebody is looking in order to close their transaction for real estate or any other yeah. commercial needs, how can they book you? So again, we really emphasize the use of technology to provide value. And so the easiest way for clients to book us is to really just to fill out a form that's available on our website and it's re.bilawyers.ca. Mm-hmm. So re.bilawyers.ca, so it's realestate.bilawyers.ca. Yeah. And you fill in a form there and you, one of our staff members will get in touch with you within 48 hours. Perfect. And again, we're here our role is to figure out what are the things that you that we need to do to solve your problem and to manage your closing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's really no obligation. You just fill in the form and just take it from there. Excellent. And like I was saying at the beginning, I really like what you're producing on social media. So how can somebody get in touch with you? How can they find you? And uh, social media, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of those things. At bi lawyers and on BI Facebook lawyers. and Twitter um, and Instagram. Our Instagram is a little bit more active than our Facebook and Twitter mm-hmm. so far. That's hopefully going to change in the next year. Like, I mean, like, honestly, and I think you've seen this, I think that social media is this real tool. I mean, there's lots of downsides to social media, mm-hmm. but we enjoy being able to educate our, educate Canadians about various legal issues using social media. We, we, we derive a lot of joy from it. Yeah. And again, it's just some of the things that I think is a, distinguishing factor about a firm no i love it okay perfect and uh, we'll have your contact information all the social media handles your website and all those kind of details on the show notes anyways now before we wrap up sure. are there any final thoughts any final comments that you'd like to share with our listeners sure i think first off it's a really crazy real estate market so good luck to <laughs> all of you who are looking to purchase right now or sell um <laughs> I think, I think that what I would say is that talk to a lawyer or form a relationship with the lawyer ahead of time. It doesn't need to be me. Form a relationship with the lawyer ahead of time, even before you sign a purchase agreement. Because oftentimes there's value that a lawyer can provide before the purchase agreement is even signed. And we really haven't covered that in the course of the conversation. That's okay. But one of the things that I think a lot of lawyers would like to have the bit more of a role in forming how the transactions influenced, you know, mm-hmm. all the purchase agreements put together. So that's what I would say. But again, like I said, it's a crazy real estate market. Good luck to all of you purchasing. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I really appreciate your time today, Ramesh. This was absolutely an amazing um, episode. And I'm so sure that our listeners would truly appreciate all the valuable insights that you have shared with them. Thanks, Sabri, for the opportunity. It's been great. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Bye.